Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of the Wrestling Wars podcast, which is going to focus a little more on the wars aspect of the name of the show. Today, I have renowned author and uh, instructor Peter Crawford. He is the author of The War of the Three Gods, as well as uh, many other academic instances such as uh, one on the rebellion of Tech Farinus. I'm probably butchering the shit out of that. And um, the reign of Tiberius. His first book, like I said, that was purchased, uh, published is uh, The War of the Three Gods. Um, and he is working on a second one, Constantinius II, Usurper, Zunix, and the Antichrist. It is due out in September. He will also be working on a biography of the Emperor Zeno in the near future. Um, welcome to the program, sir. Good morning. Sir Peter. Hello. What's going on, man? Um, so I guess one of the first questions I had was, um, you said you, you went for your, your PhD at a Queens university. It's a university in Ireland then. Yeah, that's me. Um, Belfast. Whereabouts is that in Ireland? Belfast. It's a capital of Northern Ireland rather than, okay. rather than the Republic. All right. Um, so when you get a PhD, what is your PhD in? Uh, mine is specifically in ancient history. Ancient history. Okay, so when when I hear you hear people that are referred to, uh, you know, with with a PhD, they they call them doctors. Is that still? Yeah, that's I'm I'm officially Doctor Peter Crawford. So you so you're a doctor of ancient history. So you cure people of stupidity when it comes to ancient well, history, basically. We try. We yeah. try. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not always successful. Okay. Um. So, who I, I'm a little bit um I'm a little bit unfamiliar with with one of the guys I I spoke about uh the rebellion of Tacfarnas. What, what what is that? Uh, it's a it's it's a, a Northern Africa uh, revolt against uh, uh, not strictly against the emperor himself, but it starts off as uh, raids just again and uh, and against uh, the the uh, the Roman province of Africa. Okay, and so this was in 394 A.D. Then, yeah. Oh no, that's the Battle of Frigidus. That's uh, completely different. Okay. Uh, oh, the, oh, uh, never mind. Okay, I'm getting them mixed up. When was yeah. the uh, the rebellion of Tacfarinas? Uh, it's, it's the reign of Tiberius. So that's uh, uh, what I think it's 17 A.D. 17, yeah. So it, it lasts. It lasts for almost a decade. The Romans are uh, somewhat useless at uh, trying to deal with uh, Tacfarinas for a long time. Uh, essentially, he's a uh, he turns into sort of a cavalry raider who disappears into the desert, onto the hills of Africa. Okay, got you. So was he um, like a local from uh, the North African? Yeah, he's he's okay. a Berber. Uh, the, okay, the, the, Berber, I got you. His, 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 he actually should be, the, the, the Roman name is Tacfarinas, but for to him he would have been uh, Tecfran. Okay, okay. So, yeah, he's a, a, bar, say a Berber or a barbarian. And so, well. and so what um, What was his 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 motivation, I guess, just that he didn't want his people to be under Rome's foot, or... Uh, that That's sort of what it develops into. It mm -hmm. seems to develop more out of the Romans have taken a lot of land that used to be... Uh, a lot of the, the Berbers are sort of uh, uh, agricultural pastoralists. They, they oh, okay. pastoralists, and the Romans have taken a lot of the land and basically fenced it off. Mm -hmm. the, the Berbers have only used it for part of the year, so it's sort of agricultural and territory but it's sort of slightly different than compared to just conquering land it's uh, they think they used slaves and didn't pay them or didn't give them the money that they were supposed to and okay 
just sort of like rebellion against Roman terms rather the, the than the usual. The usual. Oh yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> a rebellion against imperialism essentially is what it comes down to. Okay, so we'll um, we'll quickly go over the, st- the stuff that I just read off. Um, your first book that's been published, it's out there. Uh, I heard it's pretty excellent. Uh, explain just to to the listeners what what they can be looking for um, in the War of the Three Gods. One hundred percent available on Amazon, by the way. It's in all good bookstores. Nice. Some rubbish ones as well. Uh, what, what, what's it about? Um, it's about the uh, uh, sort of the end of the antique world uh, when sort of uh, antiquity becomes either late antiquity or actually further on into early medieval times. Uh, it, the, the subtitles Rome, Persians, and the rise of Islam. So it's mm-hmm. somewhat topical uh, yeah. with same with people finally starting to think about maybe finding out what Islam was or is. Yeah. Uh, the first, it's a book sort of split into two bits. So the first half's about the last war between the Romans and the Persians, uh, which is probably uh, the most epic of the lot because yeah. it's actually a lot of territorial change and a lot of uh, a lot of those those wars had been sort of quite uh, boring for want of a better phrase for a long time. They'd sort of just uh, pushed each other around in the frontiers, but this yeah. one actually yeah. is a lot of uh, a lot of territory. I mean, the Persians conquer. Uh, basically half of the Roman Empire and mm-hmm. hold on to it for a decade. Uh, the Romans then come back with their last army and uh, reclaim it all, uh, only to then, for both ten to lose everything to yeah. uh, the to emerging things. The, yeah, emerging, the emerging Islam or Muslims in uh, in the six six thirties. Uh, it's and uh, that the, the rise of Islam in the in the six hundreds in the late six hundreds early seven hundreds is something I want to go in a later podcast. I really want to cover because. Uh, much to my amazement, there doesn't seem to be... I mean, there's academic stuff out there, but the story of the Battle of Tours is not really um, that uh, yeah. well-covered or big, and that, to me, was a huge turning point in history because the Muslim advance had been basically unstoppable at that point, and Charles Martel was able to turn them back in a very unlikely situation. And so, in a short version, if I'm... if if I may uh, clue people in, that the, the uh, Islam rose. Um, they kind of became like a religious, uh, a religious empire, so to speak. They were taken over. They took over pretty much all of from you know we'll say the Middle East over. If we're going simple terms here, and oh, you can go further than the Middle East. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and up yeah. through Spain and yeah, the, the last people who had a chance, the last Westerners, if you will, to chant, uh, who had a chance of stopping them from taking over all of Europe was just this little cobbling together of, of uh, forces in France led by one man, Charles Heimer Martel. They were still highly outnumbered. They won a very unlikely battle, and that stopped them. Well, that among that along with some internal strife in the uh, uh, Caliphate um, stopped them from taking over all of Europe, and history would have been changed forever if they hadn't have done that. So we are definitely going to cover that someday because it's one of my favorite battles, one of my favorite uh, subjects in history. And it's one that I'm um, surprised is so underrated for its significance. I can all, I could explain to you very quickly why it's not really talked about outside academic circles. Okay. Uh, essentially, that? because uh, academia doesn't really know how important it was or was not. Uh, it's one of those where they have sort of looked at it's been put as this sort of stopping of Islam, uh, but really the Muslim army that fights at Tours isn't really an army. It's yeah. we're a raider uh, army, so. It's not necessary, and they don't actually. The Muslims had already been beaten by uh, 
by the Duke of Aquitaine as well. So uh, it's it's one of these ones at the time it probably wasn't seen as a great uh, spectacular victory, but actually turned out to be one because it's yeah. it's the last one. It's yeah, the, yeah, it was. So it does yeah. turn the tide. It wasn't really one that uh, I think Charles Martel thought that oh here we go we've saved saved Gaul from because uh, there's a large part of Gaul is is owned by the by the Muslims for mm-hmm. uh, for another fifty years before. I think actually it's his son, Bevan the Short, takes takes the takes the Provence back, mm. and then and there's Charlemagne afterwards as yeah. he he drives into Spain. But it's it's and I think that's why you see some of these things are not maybe not quite as well published on is that the academics don't really know what to say about it. If a lot of the time they sort of I mean I, I even one some chap who reviewed reviewed my book brought up that I meant, even I called it the Battle of Tours, not necessarily right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's closer to the, it's closer to Poitiers and things like that. It's uh, it's that kind of uh, nobody really wants to publish on it because almost anything they say could be taken as wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's that's it's it's a bit it's a bit of academic cowardice on a part of the likes of myself who we don't really want to publish on something. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, it, it, the chances are it will be wrong because the sources are so poor as well. Yeah. yeah like, that's sort of pretty You um, sort of you're sort of guessing a lot of the time. What was your uh, what's your second book going to be about? I mean, obviously, Constantinus the uh, second. Um, what what go go a little bit into what that's going to be about? Well, it's 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 more a military. Well, it was originally going to be a military biography of him. Uh, he's one of the emperors who sort of uh, gets glossed over. He's the mm-hmm. he's the well, he's the third son of uh, Constantine the Great, who'd be sort of one of the war emperors that people might actually have heard of. Yeah. Uh, then actually. He's in. He's he's sort of. You've read any of the sources? He or not the sources of the of the sort of secondary material. They always just sort of. He's he's stuck in there between Constantine and Julian. Uh, Julian, this great sort of yeah. uh, uh, bohemian figure who tried to fight against Con- uh, Christianity and Constantine, who converted the empire and Constantius, who reigned for twenty four years, is completely glossed over. Okay. Even though he, uh, as my book is, is looking at, you know, he actually. Uh, was one of the emperors of the fourth century. Actually, recognised the trouble that the empire was in, uh, with the amount of, uh, or the, sorry, the lack of funds and the lack of manpower and the sheer vast amount of people who were uh, uh, attacking it at various stages. Uh, he actually does some very un-Roman uh, strategies in the east. Um, refuses to fight the Persians uh, in math math battles. Probably a good idea. Because <laughs> that'd be a well, money pit for them for a long time. Yeah, it's, it's a massive money pit, and when you look at what happens to Julian, uh, yeah. two years after Constantius dies, Julian gets himself killed, mm-hmm. uh, leading 90,000 Romans into a, into a complete disaster. Uh, and the empire doesn't really recover fully for maybe 40 or 50 years after that. Uh, and I say that shows that Constantius knew what he was doing. Uh, even when he had the whole, whole empire to himself, he, uh, he refuses to actually... Uh, commit it to a big battle against. Well, and to be fair, he's fighting against probably the greatest Persian king at the time. Uh, by the greatest Persian king, probably apart from maybe when you go back to maybe what we'll look at later with Dar- Darius. Darius like, and Cyrus the Great. Yeah. It's, a, it's a different Persian empire. Yeah, but it's Shap- totally different. We're talking. Shapur the Second is a. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's he rules for seventy years. Boy. Uh, he actually was. He actually was crowned in the womb. Believe it or not. <laughs> They talk about him being crowned in neutral. He was he was actually crowned king before he was born. Mm. I don't think there's many other examples of that no, ever happened. I can't happen. think of any. You know. 
so he's uh, that bit well that shows how does that what kind of straits the, the Persian kingdom was in at the time. But he uh, uh, the fact that Constantius manages to stand up to him is a is a very good uh, very good check in his box. That definitely uh, he, sounds like he deserves yeah deserves some shine. That'll be cool. That'll be cool to check he, out. He, he doesn't get the shine because he uh, he's not he's a Christian, but he's not the right kind of Christian. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he's uh, well the, he gets painted as an Aryan Christian, which I won't go into the ins and outs of that, but. Uh, He's really not. He's one of these ones. He's actually an emperor who was somewhat placatory to all kinds of Christians, but uh, then the the guys who wanted to persecute other Christians didn't like that, and they actually the ones that went out. So he gets a bad reputation for being nice to people. Hmm. I, I could see it at that time. What about yeah. uh, Zeno? Um, that's another one you're you're doing uh, research on. What uh, what's what about him? What made you want to do a biography, which is another uh, a future project almost, you'll have them coming out? Something actually quite similar to my it actually was put, came out of my PhD, uh, the actual my actual thesis itself. Uh, it was just one of these guys who uh, who seemed to be fighting against the tide, uh, and somehow with almost pathological uh, ability to uh, to lie to people. Essentially, wow. <laughs> he somehow he manages to cobble together several armies. And and I actually gets kicked off the Roman throne after 18 months. Um, he's technically barely a Roman as well, which is even more surprising. He's uh, one of these sort of peoples who weren't really that Romanized and yeah. had some rights to uh, ascend to the Roman throne. Uh, actually, well, but this time it's the here we go. Here's the dog now. <laughs> you maybe see her in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he manages to sort of basically deal with so many different peoples. Yeah. Uh, I think there's it's, it's a real sort of Game of Thrones thing, which is actually is what really has got me to uh, that. There's at least seven seven groups fighting for the Roman throne at the time, Man, yeah. and he uh, he manages to come out on top. Uh, and I say with an almost pathological ability to lie to people and get them to do things for him. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's the emperor on the throne in Constantinople when West falls, uh, which is really what people people only really know him for. Anybody ever knows him for? Yeah. That he's the emperor in 476 when uh, when the West is the last co- one. finally yeah. collapsed. Mm-hmm. But he's also the emperor that sends the Goths to go and conquer the West. So yeah. uh, he's uh, that was a very much a uh, political move as well, <laughs> just getting rid of people. So I guess our, our I guess my next big question for for the listeners out there, um, I, obviously we know each other through professional wrestling. Which, yeah. which you are not the uh, the usual demographic clientele of uh, said professional sport. So tell me about um your your history of uh, your, your fandom of wrestling, uh, where it started, and kind of uh, how I, I know it's it's trailed off a bit here lately. But anybody could hardly blame you for that. Um, yeah, tell us about your tell us about your wrestling fandom. Where'd that? I know my. My mum and my grandmother were both wrestling fans when they were younger. They had watched it here and made our own sort of world of sport. Okay. Yeah, I've heard sh- of all the people from uh, Europe, from the Isles and stuff, talk about yeah. the world of sport. Uh, and uh, I think my, my granny would be still would still be a fan. She still watches TMA, actually. You know, if she's found it on. Boy, that's a uh, dedication yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For an eighty-something-year-old woman to still be watching and uh, be watching TNA at that—that's uh, yes, well, unfortunately, it's the, only, it's the only one she can get. The lady <laughs> who loves wrestling, right there. Uh, but um, no, it's it sort of started just it's Saturday morning uh, or Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. at WCW Worldwide, I think it was at the time. Yeah, yeah. In the early nineties, and it was just say when I used to used to go around to my granny 
on Grand on the on a Saturday. It was just it was on. Uh, yeah. So I would sit sit and watch and didn't really know what I was watching. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> I do remember being petrified of the barbarian. That was a. Uh, it's a good man to be scared of. It's a big boy. Yeah. Was going through that. He was going through a period of time where he was uh, knocking everybody out with his big boot. I remember yeah. barring. Oh yeah. Yeah. Losing a few teeth uh, a few times mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, against the barbarian. Six-man tag main events. That was um, just one of those matches. That was just one of those moves where it was like how, because you know now we know people know how to take moves and protect themselves and everything like that. But that was one of those moves, like along with like Yokozuna's sumo drop or uh, or bonsai drop, excuse me, or like the macho. The one that scared me to death when I was a little kid was the Macho Man's elbow drop. I'm like, how do people yeah, live not- through that? How yeah. do they not get their throat crushed by that? <laughs> so I can imagine too the barbarian's boot where people would flip over from taking it. Like how does he not break their face? Yeah. I sort of remembering back now. I said that was must have been just before the period in WCW where they actually stopped uh, talking about the match that was on in the ring. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. uh, I used to, I remember the the, the commentaries just to sell that like somebody had just been killed. Yeah. Uh, Barry Windham was always oh, careers over. That's it. He's, <laughs> he's just been he's just been hit with that boot. I say the fact that the barbarian had kicked somebody four or five times in the match didn't really mean anything. He just hit this big running boot. Um, it was WCW there for 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 two or three for two or three of those years. But then I found that my next door neighbour had somehow all WWF pay per views from about basically from WrestleMania one all the way through to okay. WrestleMania nine. It was at the time. Um, and I just I, he would lend me them and I would watch them absolutely rotten and, and give them back to him in less than perfect uh, things. So that was the move to WWF and not WCW stayed along because we had it here or we actually had TNT okay. as a channel and actually got to watch. Uh, I got to watch the simulcast of Nitro and Raw. Right. I, I missed the old TNT channel. That was that yeah. reminds me of good times as a kid. So then I mean, that was it. Just never related. Really, Wrestling has just always been there. Just to, and then whether it's depending on how good it is at the time and the foreground or the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the three-hour Raws at the moment have uh, have really sort of kicked my really ass. Got, uh, exhausting. A man such as yourself with, with writing projects and teaching projects and all this, that, and the other thing has got sit, time to sit around and watch three hours of bullshit. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't overly play up the, the amount of time I spend reading and writing, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm one of those artsy types who does what it does what he wants when he wants a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, but, that sounds fucking awesome. But, Maybe someday we'll, we'll blow up big with this podcast, and I'll be one of those people too. Um, so today's topic, uh, we've decided to, for the beginning at least, so people get used to this this flow of this of this uh, this type of uh, show that I'll be doing. Um, we're gonna be covering uh, historical events that have been covered in popular cinema or popular pop culture. Um, so we are going to start off with. Everyone's favorite, probably the most well-known and widely viewed, um, 300 and its sequel, 300, Rise of an Empire. Now, I must warn at the beginning of this that they're, depending on how far we get in the, uh, into the conversation, in, unless you have to go, go run <laughs> off and do your, do your other media appearances, um, <laughs> depending on how long, far we get in this conversation, there are going to be spoilers for what's probably going to be in the next film in the series so i guess what i gotta ask first is have have you seen these movies do you watch them do you watch the the shows and movies that are based upon the things that you like actually know about very often oh yeah i've i've I've, i'm quite happy to switch off and not not be annoyed but things not being historically accurate to be honest i haven't seen rise of an empire i've only seen 
Okay. Good. Uh, no, and then things like I mean, Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. Uh, yeah. I mean, completely like unhistorical like, history at all. So uh, I mean, the, about the first ten minutes might be. Maybe, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't bother me in the slightest because it's, it's, it's only as long as it's a good movie, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's nice. I mean, I. Uh, the likes of Eagle and Centurion I had no problem with either even, even they were attempting to show, put some historical fact to something that we don't do anything about Yeah, yeah. Uh, again no problem as long as it's entertaining it doesn't bother me in the slightest uh, it's when people it's, I don't when people try and bring it up that it's historical fact then I might have a bit of an issue well, but, yeah uh, of course <laughs> I don't, uh, never I miss those opportunities yeah I don't I, I don't mind if people are uh, if, if it's uh, Thinking from a purely pragmatic point of view, those movies get people interested in ancient history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know. For a, I know for a fact when I was say working at Queens, the reason I have a job at Queens uh, is because essentially of movies like Gladiator and Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had they would only maybe get ninety or so a year signing up for first year, and a couple of years after Troy and Gladiator, we had a we had double that. Uh, wow. So the numbers had got up. Awesome. Because That's of awesome. things like this being popular, so uh, it's that kind of uh, sort of. Uh, no, I have no problem, no problem with that. But I haven't. I say I haven't seen uh, Rise of Rise of an Empire. Uh, I did. I did actually enjoy Three Hundred. I didn't think uh, it was certainly there were large parts of it are 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 pretty good. I mean, to be fair, it's what as you say, it's one of the best stories from ancient history. Full stop. It doesn't really need that much of a change. Well, that uh, and I mean, obviously, it's. Um... A very stylized presentation of the yeah. events, but from what I've been able to read, um, down to a lot of quotes, actually, a lot of the yep. most badass quotes from 300 were are things that are in the historical records. When he tells, yep. uh, when he tells the messenger from Xerxes that, uh, you know, the guy tells him our arrows were blot out the sun, he says, and we will have our fight in the shade. Um, yeah, that's that, my favorite. That's in that's in history. That's in the historical accounts. Um, when uh, Xerxes tells Leonidas to kneel, and he says his legs are sore from killing all of Xerxes' people all day. That is, <laughs> that is in the historical account. Now, mind you, these are historical accounts that are from the West, so they might be overly praising. But just the fact that things like that were that you know we look at as like that was so badass, that was so cool. That actually is um, that's actually how it went down. And um, just to to set you up. Um, 300 Rise of Nine Empire uh, depicts Marathon a little bit. Um, the time in between when uh, Darius passes away, Xerxes plans to cross the Hellas Point, come over and do his invasion. And then the other events of the film are uh, concurrent with Thermopylae. So obviously that's uh, yeah. Salamis and Artemisium. And Artemisium, yes, sir. And um, those are the two that it depicts. It depicts the uh, the end of Salamis and uh, Artemisium, and then obviously the next ones will will move into to the final phase of it. It, it focuses on uh, Artemisia of Cara as well. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and um, I do have to say, while 300 in itself is pretty accurate as far as the chain of events and the things that are said and done and the reasons that they're done, uh, 300 Rise of Empire is not. <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty fancified and crazy uh, and uh, at the end uh, you know it looks like the, the Athenians are going to lose and uh, Sparta comes rolling in with their navy and they save the day and uh, what? <laughs> and in, in actual history from what I understand they only contributed like 100 people to Artemisium 
Spartans and Navy it doesn't really exist. Yeah, it doesn't really exist anyway. So no, or certainly not really the four yeah, four ninety. So it doesn't really exist. It's another fifty or sixty years before there's a Spartan Navy. Uh, and even then, when it's a Spartan Navy, it's actually a Persian Navy. Uh, it's one of those quirks uh, of history. So I guess we'll, how we'll start off is um in the films, the Persian Empire is uh, depicted as some demonic, sort of really dark, um, at times a bit androgynous, uh, weirdos that are coming to kill everybody and hang them from trees when, from what I have can understand, especially in the time of uh, Cyrus the Great, who originally grew the Persian Empire to its height, and then later on, a couple of uh, generations later with Darius, who was uh, Xerxes' father, um, it was not that way. Um, as far as conquering empires go, they were actually pretty passive and um, willing to allow cultures to continue on doing what they were doing as long as they would swear fealty, pay a tax. Tell us about how the Persian Empire really was. It, well, you've summed it up pretty well. Or it is, it is it's something that's coming up more in uh, even in academics. So I have a friend, another uh, ex-military friend in America who's sort of written about that uh, in recent times. It's the uh, the idea that there's a reason why Xerxes is called the King of Kings. Yeah. It's not because it's some big sort of highfalutin title that uh, that only will be sort of it's only used because it's grand. He actually was a king of kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many king sub kings uh, in the in the the, the Parthian sorry the Pars the Persian kingdom is a kingdom of kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, there's three or four kingdoms around uh, the Mesopotamia region and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's and actually with this friend of mine he did a he did a, a redid the map to show how much of the Persian Empire would actually have been considered directly under the Persian king mm-hmm. and it's maybe only about half of it. Yeah. Uh, so so to put that in perspective for anybody who can't pick up on subtleties, he's a king of kings because they allowed all of these smaller kingdoms that they quote unquote conquered to continue in relative uh, yeah. autonomy. And he was just at the head of the whole thing. But, I mean, they it was besides the fact that, you know, uh, they came through and got whatever arms that they required to swear fealty, uh, life as usual probably pretty much continued in these various kingdoms. Yeah, as, as long as they, was, the, the Persians would have talked about uh, water and earth. Which we see in the 300 when the guy gets kicked water down the fucking well. Yeah. yeah. And... and pay some taxes and provide men for the army uh, and that's essentially what the Persian Empire is it's it's the army that the king can control uh, the army has if he is a massive army as we see uh, with the supposed numbers of the Greek invasion and the supposed numbers that uh, uh, Alexander the Great comes up against he could control a massive army yeah, uh, absolutely hundreds of thousands of men we're talking about are not necessarily hundreds of thousands useful men but uh, we're talking about a colossal army that uh, uh, that he could, he obviously, and, and he probably had, certainly with Cyrus, they had uh, gained a lot of loyalty by being uh, placatory and by, and by and treating their subjects well. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why Cyrus is one of the uh, the very first sort of uh, blessed non-Jews. Uh, lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem because uh, from the uh, from Babylon because uh, he saw it as a useful way to. Uh, control that region. Say so if he's being nice to people, they uh, they will be uh, they will be they will act nicely, basically back to him again. 
uh, they'll uh, say pay their wee bit of tax, they'll pay their their dues, and basically uh, live in largely peace. Um, there are some regions where the they, the king had been uh, an object uh, opponent of the Persian, so they didn't replace him with another king. Yeah. All yeah. they did was they replaced him with a governor uh, called a satrap, mm-hmm. who essentially becomes a mini king anyway. Mini king in that area, yeah. yeah. As we'll see, if you see him with the sort of the beginning of the the Persian invasion, or where the sort of Persian invasion all stems yeah, from, Macedonia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all about these. Well, I, I read uh, that they were called uh, tyrants. Is that does that sort of an academic thing, or do you still just go with satrap? You could well satrap would be what the what their official title was okay, from okay, the Persian okay. state. So the Persian state would have called it a satrap, and it's a word then the Greeks take. Tyrant would be a Greek word that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay, you, I get, I get it. Then. A bad word. It's yeah. we won't think of a tyrant now. We think of the worst Back of the. Back then, world. it was the same thing. It was basically a governor. Uh, well, a tyrant, uh, a tyrant was a man who ruled something. Uh, mm-hmm. the rule of the rule of one, a strong man. Uh, Athens had tyrants, but they weren't bad. Uh, yeah. They were. It's they sort of they could be a benign dictatorship that kind of uh, that kind of thing. It didn't need to be sort of the horrendous thing that we think of now when we yeah. hear different. Especially uh, the, the, in the d- depiction of the show. Um, so this wasn't uh, you know massive amounts of monsters and demons and uh, slaves and chains, but even still, slaves and the chains Greeks weren't fucking possibly. playing that shit. <laughs> um, so. So tell us about the basically from what I okay this is the way I understand the events unfolding. Um, there are the islands of Ionia, which are between Greece and Asia Minor. So yeah. we're talking Greece. We got the Aegean Sea. We got the islands of Ionia. So it's kind of in the middle of the two, where the two. Um, and there's a, a system of cities along the the Asia Minor coast as well. Yeah, so yeah. along the coast, and then there's little islands, and then this is yeah. kind of where um, the two civilizations bump up against each other. Um, yeah. Ionia, the Ionian uh, islands revolted against Persian rule, and from what I understand, it was uh, Athens and one other major uh, city-state that provided, that I can't uh, recall right at the moment, that provided help to the Ionians to try and uh, to attempt to overthrow rule uh, in the Ionian islands. Um why did Ionia revolt? And I, well, I think I can figure out the reason that the, the Athens and this other place would have helped them, because I mean, obviously, if you can push the further you can push back this other great empire's influence away from your uh, patch of grass, you're gonna try and help them do that. Um, why did Ionia revolt, and why did the uh, Greeks want to help them? Um. There's probably some idea that they, when they, when the Athenians joined in, that they were looking to maybe say that buff, that extra buffer zone and maybe free some Greeks from uh, the, the from the rule of a foreigner. But there are far more uh, personal and regional uh, things going on for the Ionian revolt. Uh, the reason it seems to break out is actually uh, one of the leaders of one of the Greek cities, a place called Miletus. Uh, he. Uh, is helping the Persians and they attack the island of Naxos which is quite a big island in the Aegean uh, but the whole attack goes completely wrong and um, but this this man Aristagoras he had uh, uh, leveraged his uh, future on the conquest of Naxos okay. spent a whole load of money that he didn't have uh, and then when it all went to pot uh, he essentially had uh, uh, basically to save his own skin, he uh, raised the people of Miletus in revolt, 
Uh, and then, of course, that's I mean, that's the spark. But then it sort of rolls on and on that people want freedom. The Greeks are quite a free people. You can see from the number of city states that they are quite a yeah, uh, yeah. But they look they like their freedom. Um, and again, this is what comes back to the uh, uh, they're they're not really revolting against Persia in general. They're revolting specifically against the local satrap, this okay. local tyrant, a man called I think it's uh, Artaphernes. I think at this stage uh, is the satrap of. Uh, we even know what's tight. It'd be the satrap of Sardis, probably. Um, uh, the reason Athens and it's Eritrea as the other as the other city state that sends help. Um, there's some suggestion that the Athens actually uh, their own deposed tyrant, a man called Hippias, who had been deposed at the at the outset of Roman or of not Roman uh, Athenian democracy. Uh, he actually was a resident at Artaphernes's court. Uh, and Artaphernes had told the Athenians that they should take their tyrant back, uh, and this was sort of as a this uh, this sort of Athenian attack was seen as uh, a potential way of sort of showing that we don't need don't need our tyrant back. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, the Ionians also went to the Spartans to ask for help as well. Uh, as as somebody who knows something about the Spartans, I think you know uh, maybe why they said no to that. Uh, the yeah. Spartans go and help. Uh, they don't help anybody ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when they do, it goes cataclysmically wrong uh, because their kings can't deal with being. Uh, can't be, can't deal with being out of pocket, so to speak. Can't, can't, can't deal with being famous, I yeah. think, is what a lot of it comes to. Yeah. Um. Uh, and I think they do actually refute. They use their old, uh, which we see, I think we might even see it again later. Uh, they say that we've got a religious festival going on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we can't go. They, they always have a religious festival going on. No, that's where they can't go. They're just not allowed. Yeah, um, oh, don't allow it today. Sorry, uh, so and that's the Athens. And one one thing I've heard argued back and forth. Okay, so the Athenian and Eritrean support of the Ionian Revolt is the guise under which um, Persia decided. Well, now we're pissed off at you, Greece, and now we're gonna come to your fucking doorstep and see about you because you helped these guys revolt, and now we're pissed. Um. Now, which way do you think it was? Do you think that they truly just wanted to beat back Greece so that they could have their Ionian islands? Or was it kind of like, you know, we kind of would like to have Greece anyway, so thanks for giving us a fucking reason? Um, I would certainly have said the latter, probably more likely. Yeah. Uh, there's always, there'll, be, there'll, be a, there'll be a slight hint of uh, punishment for what they had done. And let's be honest, uh, the Athenians and the Eritreans didn't do all that much. No, that's, uh, that's they're only there for, and the Ionian Revolt lasts is it five years, and the Athenians are only there for the first one. Yeah, uh, they they help now. They help at the burn of Sardis, but so actually, it makes it it makes it pretty transparent that yeah, it's, it's, it's kind it's, of just an excuse to to keep going west. And and to be fair, we're not really talking about the Romans who have this idea that they need to have a reason to go. The Persians didn't need. Uh, mm. Didn't any kind of they already had been in Europe by that stage. Yeah, uh, the kingdoms in the north of the Thracian kingdoms, even the Macedonian kingdom, had sort of given some kind of fealty to the Persian king. I think actually by this stage the Persian king had crossed the Danube, believe it or not, uh, up into had, had fought some of the Scythians in uh, in what is now what Romania. Yeah, not Romania. They had, um, they had been along to the Danube River that generally um, later on we talk in Roman times is a large river that kind of separates. Uh, the steps in the east from the west a little bit. Um, one of them, anyways. Civilization from civilization is what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, That's so, a lot away from home. With that, they sailed into 
what we know as the Battle of Marathon, um, where they it was the first, also known as the uh, first invasion of Greece um, by Persia. Um, and the Battle of Marathon, this is what's depicted in the beginning of 300 Rise of an Empire, if you have seen that movie. Um, just to clarify from the movie, uh, Themistocles does not kill King Darius at the Battle of Marathon, like it shows in the film. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> the look on your face says it all. That does not happen. Um, but what does happen... These wouldn't have been all that old, either. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, what does happen is... The Greeks do score a pretty pretty solid victory. Um, uh, a very uh, slanted uh, statistical um, difference is at least uh, recorded by Herodotus, um, who was a Greek historian. Um, he counts that it was about 6,500 Persian dead to only 190 dead for the Athenians. Um, it was an uh, all-around ass-whooping when they tried to invade Greece first time, and we now know a marathon because the in, one of the individuals at said battle was told after the victory to run to Athens, which was, what is it, 26 miles? Or 23 miles? 26 miles Six. from the battlefield to uh, Athens to tell them we are victory, victorious. Um, he screamed out the word Nike, which is Greek for victory, and that's where Nike, the shoe company, gets its name from. And this is where we also get the, word, the term marathon. Uh, yeah. He sprinted 25 miles, 26 miles from the battlefield to the city to tell everybody that they had won. They had turned back the Persians. Um, any other uh, gaps to fill in? Gaps to fill in for us for the Battle of Marathon. You can probably uh, depict it a little bit better than me. I think I, I think you're uh, you're a wee bit harsh on Herodotus for the numbers. I think actually this is one of the few times where Herodotus's numbers are actually probably quite accurate. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the way the battle played out, there was no real opportunity for the Greeks to have taken that many, or that, all that many casualties. They just stood on a hill for five days and uh, waited for the Persians to do something, and then the Persians eventually, what they do, what the Persians do do, is they actually try and go back onto try their ship. Take the hill, which is never a good idea. <laughs> the, the Persians actually tried to leave. Uh, the Persians actually go and they decide actually that they're going to go back onto their ships and sail around and capture Athens. Why, while the army is still stuck oh, on this hill? Oh, no, sir. That's, uh, so the, actually, uh, that's the number one. You guys will find out through all these podcasts that is pretty much the number one way to take a complete ass whooping is to show your ass by turning around and running away. Pretty much every major route that you've seen in uh, engagements like this in, in the ancient world is a result of um, panic and retreat. Yeah. Because obviously if you have your back turned to the people who are trying to kill you, you cannot defend yourself very well. Um I'm that's sure we'll, that's, that's we'll, why the numbers are so high. That's, we'll see that's... we'll see a lot of that later on when we cover uh, Caesar's Civil War and the, the after the the continuing battles after afterwards between uh, the, the the many sides that that came out during that. Um, so basically, they tried to take this beach. The Greek army was up in the hills. They waited around for a while. They tried to decide to turn back, try to get back on their boats so they could do something else because they're like this isn't working. They had the higher ground, and down come the Athenians to crush them. Yeah. Um, so I, I will take one. We'll take umbrage with uh, with your your mention of uh, the ma the marathon runner. Uh, okay. That's that's actually uh, he's actually been done a disservice by history. Um, his, his name was Phidippides. Uh, he was the the runner from well supposedly the runner from marathon to Athens. That's actually not true. Uh, okay. The actual story is that the the, the what uh, the actual story that the runner or the runners from Athens marathon to Athens 
were the entire Athenian army. Oh, wow. <laughs> Our army ran back to Marathon to say that we had been victorious and actually to defend the city from the Persians because the, the rest of the Persian fleet had sealed on to Athens. Oh, wow, to okay. Anyway, uh, Pheidippides didn't run from Marathon to Athens. Pheidippides ran from Athens to Sparta. Oh, wow. hundred and <laughs> Wow, okay, well, now, uh, um, I, I can visualize because I've seen a lot of ancient maps. Um, but you uh, tell everybody how far that is. It's about 130 miles. <laughs> so he's actually been done a massive disservice Very by his. Very nice. Okay. Uh, and he, he, and then he, he was he running to tell the Spartans that they that uh, that uh, Athens had been victorious, and then supposedly the Spartans then appear to say, "Oh, well, well done." They typically arrive late, but uh, yeah. No, it, it's one of these strange ones. But he's actually has been done a disservice by history. Okay. He's uh, he ran a lot further. Uh, and the marathon thing is, 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 is what we what we now call the race. The marathon is mm-hmm. taken from this, and with one slight uh, uh, addition of 385 yards or something like that, it is the same distance from the battlefield to Athens. But to say Phidippides isn't the one who ran it. It was uh, say the, the Athenian army was running it wow. uh, back to look after their city. Uh, so you say it's one of these stuff. strange ones where the actual the actual history story is better than the one that people actually have. That's the kind of stuff that's like that's why I love history. That's why I get down with history is because and what's funny enough is because I avoid every show I can on the topic now because they're nonstop everywhere. But World War Two was the first thing that was kind of to me where I was like, holy shit, this happened in real life. Like yeah. that really fucking happened. All those people and all that craziness, and it has happened recently enough to where there's people still around who were in it. Like that is just fucking incredible to me that that actually happened. And this is the kind of stuff going back through history that once again, that's fucking insane. That entire army ran for 26 miles to yeah. get back and kill the rest of the little punk ass Persians, um, just to save their city. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. So. King Darius, who was the king during the first invasion of Greece, um, he was not a man who took failure lightly. However, there was some uh, some revolts that he had to go back and put down uh, occurring in Egypt and Babylon at the time. And this is where Darius met his untimely end. Uh, in, in, a, in a short synopsis, what was what was the deal with the, the Babylonian and Egyptian result, revolts, and how did King Darius die before he could come back and avenge the loss against the Greeks? Oh, now, now you're asking me things I'm not entirely sure about. Oh. Um, uh, Darius, and I think there was a revolt against Darius. I think he uh, uh, he wasn't particularly... He was one of these ones who was maybe the reason why they, they attacked the Greeks, because he was so wrapped up in being king. It's the, the idea that he... Uh, the, the, the Greeks had had the temerity to stand against him, so uh, I think he's the very famous. He had a, a slave supposedly told him three times a day, "Master, remember the Athenians." Uh, that's so. Uh, but it is uh, a bit mysterious. Well, maybe we'll, we'll touch on this in a future one because all I've got in my notes over here is Darius died while preparing to march against Egypt. Yeah, it's, say it's how so. Yes, we've we, we very few uh, we very few. Well, the, the problem is we're relying on Greek sources. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if the Greeks don't, for some reason, for an empire the size they were, the Persians didn't record all that much. Um, they maybe did. They made inscriptions. They didn't actually have history writers, which is obviously yeah. something that needs to be sort of pointed out. Is that these are the first wars that are ever really covered by historian. An historian, and that's uh, one of the things why I want to cover this and explain to people. Because, um, you know, it's a cool movie, and everybody's ripped, and there's monsters, and oh, it's badass. But people don't understand how significant this is 
because think about what we just said. Uh, history started in Greece. <laughs> like, like if 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 Persia comes and wipes out Greece, mm. we don't have. I mean, we might have, but we don't have our Western styles of government. We don't have democracy. We don't have certain freedoms. We don't have written fucking history. We don't. I mean, this is a a huge huge turning point that could have happened in history that could have completely eradicated and changed everything we know about how things are now. Anyways, yeah. back to back to the 490s. Um, the, uh, the the sort of revo- the revolts of uh, in Babylon and uh, Egypt is just sort of it's sort of quite sim- symptomatic of the Persians full stop. They're always facing revolts which is sort of with, uh, with with a big yeah. empire like that. And the way we it sort of ties in what we said earlier, it's not necessarily the most uh, sort of well stitched together state. It's yeah. a state of states, so uh, you're going to have people who are not really uh, all that caring about uh, about staying in that state, and they want mm-hmm. to be. Especially when you when you look at it, there's Babylon. That's a, a very old standing, very old yeah, proud old area. State. Yeah. And 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 then the other one is Egypt, and even Egypt older. Is, Egypt is Egypt. Yeah, Egypt, yeah. Egypt, Egypt, Egypt looked at it was it's on its twenty something dynasty already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that kind of I mean, we're really we're talking. Pre-ancient now, as it's pre, which we're into for real prehistory, uh, thousands funny, of years. Funny thing being, little did Egypt know, because maybe if they would have supported Persia, they wouldn't have become uh, familiar with the little family that came along later, the Ptolemies. Um, but <laughs> well, the, the, <laughs> it's the funny Ptolemy- how things, all things flow into the one Ptolemies another. Were very clever. The Ptolemies were very clever. The Ptolemies played into the being an Egyptian pharaoh. Yeah, uh, they. That's true. Whereas, that's, true. that's how they. Uh, that's a, that's a whole nother. Particularly when we said, by the time we get to Cleopatra, she she was a, a very uh, Egyptian Ptolemy pharaoh, mm-hmm. uh, and that was sort of something that uh, something that the Persians never really got to grips with with Egypt was that they and Egypt revolted several times against uh, yeah, against because Persia. Egypt is very very well, I don't want to yeah. say stuck in because it's not really a negative thing, but they are very they have their into doing their own thing because they have their own history and they're they're of ancient uh, ancient origin so you know they're very proud it's, it's one of those fantastic things where you can say that we're that we in the what in the 21st century are closer to the battle of marathon than the battle of marathon is to a lot of egyptian history yeah yeah uh, the egyptian pharaohs that far back that i mean we think of when we're talking about ancient history but this was ancient history even to the greeks this yeah. was brutally old history uh mm-hmm. Uh, so it's something that we sort of it's very difficult to sort of get a grip on what they really thought about it uh, and say they, Egypt had just always been there uh, it's the same as uh, as it being conquered by the Persians was probably a great culture shock to uh, a lot of the world and we sort of say that sort of not quite take it for granted but it's very difficult to to grasp but it's it's it's, it's like it's the American Empire, as you have people would call it, it fell overnight. Is that kind of thing? We're sort of well, we're just used to that being around. It's yeah. the British Empire in the sixties; it all just disappeared overnight. Yeah, uh, and they were used to be. It's been there for. It's only been there for a century, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard it's to a hundred years, and we're not. We're really more talking about two and a half thousand years of an empire. Uh, and mm-hmm. say it's the same with the. And you think what the Chinese thought when they're at with their last emperor being deposed? Yeah, that they had emperors for. 2200 years and all of a sudden they didn't uh communism's only been around now for or nationalism and then communism has only been around for a century and if they were talking 22 23 centuries of uh of history and say for it they just not there anymore it just it was very uh very tough very big, tough big culture shock and i say that's that, that and that's why you'll see babylonian babylonians and egyptians 
rebelling against the Persians quite frequently because uh, they just were used to having their own way. It's, it's... And they should be. I don't got nothing wrong. As an American, I said you goddamn right. Um, <laughs> so, after Darius passed away um, in this situation, uh, his son Xerxes, who we all know from uh, the movies as being seven feet tall and gorgeous. <laughs> What's that? Old guy. Yeah. Um, he took over and he actually quite quickly crushed both revolts and resumed preparations to cross over the Hellespont into Greece and begin the second Greek invasion to try and pick up where his father left off. Um, tell us about, there's some pretty fantastic claims about this crossing of the Hellespont um, going from Asia Minor into Greece. Tell us about that. Uh, well, to begin with, it's the... Uh, the size of the army is the uh, is the thing that sort of a lot of the Greek historians couldn't quite get over. Uh, it's uh, even now you see it. Even what I always remember is uh, uh, the Last Samurai, the movie with Tom Cruise in mm-hmm. in Japan. Uh, they talk about uh, this period as being a great way to die, uh, fighting against a million men, uh, and they're talking about the the Persian army being a million men. Um, it, it was nowhere near that big, obviously. But, but it was more motherfuckers than they could count. <laughs> a lot was, of fucking it, people yeah, were down there. It was probably probably 200,000 across the Hellespont. Uh, and this is, I mean, that is a, even today, that is a big army. That's a fucking uh, incredible number when uh, you think about the time uh, frame. We're talking the yeah. 480s BC. That's insane. Just yeah, insane. And crossing, crossing the Hellespont, which is, say, it's not just a river. It's no. a... It's an it's an it's a sea inlet. It's this is a proper crossing that has to be done, mm-hmm. uh, and they do it with a, a bridge of boats. Um, there's a couple of very famous stories which we don't really need to be going into now, but about how uh, Xerxes cut a man in half and put him on each side of the Hellespont to to allow this, his army to and with his sons serving in the army. And um, I mean, a, a really colossal uh, undertaking. Uh, well, let's, let's expand. Upon, we'll, we'll tell people how they did it. From what we're told, they they. They parked boats side by side and basically made a bridge of them. Bridge, and, a bridge of boats. And we're talking, how many miles is this across oh, open water? Uh, well, it's, it's easily into the teens, I think. Yeah, we're uh, talking 15, 16 miles yeah. of boats parked side by side with 200,000 people crossing them to go in. That's fucking out of, like, outrageous. And they did it. Yeah, it's, and, and it's, it, 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 it sort of puts it into perspective how important uh, bridge building is in the ancient world, not just for the Persians. It's one of the things the Romans were so good at with uh, scaring their opposition. So the opposition would say, oh, we're on the far side of a river here, you're not going to get to us. The next all day, sudden, yeah. All of a sudden the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, engineers appear and there's a bridge being built. And the bridge is built inside a month, and all of a sudden the, the entire Roman army is crossing this bridge. And uh, I mean, can you imagine what a, a Greek uh, uh, sort of observer to this would have thought? I mean, uh, they, they just yeah. if mar- this entire army has marched to the Hellespont and just ah, they're not going to get any further now. Uh, and then all of a sudden, bloody hell, they've just uh, yeah. put up an entire army, an entire navy has just appeared. They've made a road out of it and crossed over into the, and it stayed there. I mean, it didn't just. Yeah. Uh, they didn't just leave it there. They didn't just park it and take it away again. It actually stays there for the duration of the Persian invasion, and it's one of the reasons why the Persians actually uh, are, are quite willing to sort of flee, is that they so don't want to. Yeah, because they had a way to, yep. That's they, something we'll go, we'll go into later, is uh, 
armies that um don't have a way to run have been uh successful more times than not um that's actually a, a situation that caesar, caesar usually did uh was he would give it was either make it or don't make it but then again caesar had the confidence of his soldiers because he they knew he would always put them in a position that was uh winnable but if they didn't win they, they weren't going anywhere so that was probably one of the things that worked against the persians in that they did have a, a way to get back home if they decided the going was a little too tough yeah. now to set up so now they've crossed over, and this is the part in the film that you see where um, they're sending emissaries to these cities and saying, hey, we're coming, um, we're going to take over, we have 200,000 people, well, we have a million people, or whatever, however they would upset it, um, so you guys, you know, everything will be fine, just earth and water, pledge it to the king, and we're good. Um, and the larger city-states, at least, of Greece were like, not today motherfucker and we're kicking people down wells um now what we need to put into perspective for people is how unlikely this situation is if you now you you tell me if, if this if this uh if this comparison is is too much or too little but the way to me that the city-states especially sparta and athens continually were at war this would be like if right at the end of the American Civil War, England invaded again, and the North and the South got together and said, hey, I know we've just been killing each other for the last few years, and uh, hundreds of thousands of each other's sons, brothers, and fathers have been murdered, but we're about to get taken over, so we need to team up, and we need to do it, like, right now. And that is the level of unlikelihood and just unfathomable... Um, unity that came about right at this time because people what you also need to understand is there was no such thing as Greece at this time there was city states that were their own kingdoms Athens was its own kingdom Sparta was its own kingdom uh, Eritrea like we talked about earlier was its own kingdom uh, Macedonia was its own kingdom um, and they all had different uh, you know ways of life much different in the Spartans case we could probably do a whole fucking podcast about spartan culture much different in the spartans case um different cultures different um some different religious beliefs or ways of going about them uh just everything and they were able to come together to say hey we're all fucking done if we don't fight against this force that's coming in um is my comparison uh somewhat fair or what would you say about about the defensive alliance no, that's, that's a pretty fair comparison. We're talking about... There is a connection because they're all Greeks. Uh, it's the same uh, with the uh, the North and the South. They were all still Americans. and yep. uh, might be different different states, but they were all still Americans. Um, and there's a bigger bad out there. Uh, yep. The bigger bad that's not, not coming to... It's not about states' rights. It's not about what you can and can't do. It's actually about... Uh, uh, whether or not you're going to live tomorrow. Uh, that's, we're not going to have nothing to fight fight yeah, over if we don't what, what, stop what, these guys. Yeah, what good are our states' rights when we're all dead? Yeah. Uh, and that kind of... Uh, and say Especially when you've got a very vengeful uh, king on the way. Uh, now, the English might not be quite as vengeful as, yeah, yeah. Uh, as Xerxes ever would Xerxes be. But was ready to rock when he this, kind of, uh, this kind of problem is uh, is certainly there. And I say it's this kind of uh, potential problem that, uh, that they have. And... Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't obviously. wasn't sort of completely embraced by everyone so quickly. Yeah. No. Absolutely uh, not. There are 
there are kingdoms who are who have no choice really. The Thracians and the Macedonians have no choice because the Persian armies march into their lands. Yeah, they they get there first. I was gonna add yeah. that in that like you know Thrace and um, Macedonia. Thrace will will <laughs> will play a role in another show we'll cover someday in the future. There's a pretty famous Thracian in history that we'll cover in the future. Um, but. There's quite uh, a famous uh, Macedonians as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's one of those for sure. Probably um, the most famous man in history. Yeah, uh, uh, but Macedonia and Thrace are like right there in the north northeastern part of Greece, so they were pretty much uh, didn't have much of a choice. Uh, Athens and Sparta had the, um, you know, knew what was what was coming and decided they needed to do something about it. Um, go ahead and just draw a quick parallel for us between. It's going to be hard to put this into perspective in a, in a short way, but. Um, differences between Athens and Sparta. Uh, Athens was very intellectual. They had a great navy. Um, Sparta was not, but they had an awesome, awesome ground force. You've got, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's the sort of uh, the traders against the military elite. Uh, it's the traders with their money and be able to buy ships to mm. man ships and a larger population with a closed uh, militaristic society. Uh, where boys are trained from the age of seven uh, to be uh, some of the greatest fighters that have probably ever walked the earth. Uh, just total insanity. Uh, yeah, not, not, this is not... <laughs> there's no real way to put this into perspective. Yeah. But like he says, they were taken from their mothers when they were seven and put automatically into a military training school. And uh, they had their coming of age, what was 17, was it? Or 15? Where where they had been doing... They're doing nothing but training for yeah, battle. Coming of ages, that, that their their entire life is spent spent to fight a battle. Uh, they do nothing they're... but get ready no. for this until they're in their mid to late teens, and then they finally they do their their trial and graduate and become a full fledged uh, Spartan warrior. Um, and that's all these guys do. That's all they do. And um, so they're some pretty bad boys. Um, I have seen now. Obviously, this is one of those situations where it would be cooler if it was true, but I don't know. I heard that there was there were competitions. They were they regularly would wrestle one another to decide who got to be at the front of the group of the shield wall. Entirely possible. Uh, fucking, think about that. We're talking about the front lines of hand-to-hand combat, and these guys want to be up there so bad that yep. they will hold wrestling tournaments like the fucking King of the Ring to decide which guys get to be at the front. Get to be at the front, because they were so confident in their battle skills and their strength and their ability that they generally are going to just wreck whoever they're fighting. And so you get to be at the front, that's where all the fun's going on. That's where all the good killing is at. It's it's and it's one of these sort of very... It's, it's quite a famous... Well, not, not, not as well-known quote, but a very good one. Uh, it was about how uh, sort of it sort of dawns on the Persian... Uh, commanders, uh, who they're fighting against. Uh, these men are talking about. Uh, basically, it's one of, there's, a, there's a Persian general who talk, basically, basically tells another general, "What have you done? You've made us fight against me, and we fight for honor and not yeah. money." Uh, and this is they, they sort of have realized, "Dear God, what have we done?" Uh, this is the kind of and all of a sudden, it's, this is by the, by the time you get to uh, the final battle, there's now thirty thousand of these men. Uh, not 300, there's 30,000 and they're just absolutely terrified yeah. about what these men are going to do uh, they, have, they have finally learned that oh Christ the 
Spartan hoplite, uh, or not even just the Spartan hop, but the Greek hoplite in general is, uh, which is the sort a of badass too. Yeah, 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 a very heavy, a very heavy infantry man, embroiled mm-hmm. and encased in bronze. The Spartans weren't; they actually didn't even bother. They they fought in their pants. Yeah, but, they, fa- uh, they fought was... in fucking loincloths and yeah. red cloak. That's that's yeah. a well. They looked a little more maroonish in the thing, but that's actually something that the Spartans were also known for was their red cloak. Yeah, and, and... they their hair cut before they went to battle, and they sung poetry as they went into pa- mm-hmm. battle. Can you just? I can't. As I, have, I can't. Can't imagine a more uh, horrifying thought. Is it? What? What do you? Is it, what do you happens when you? When a Spartan's getting his hair cut, his beard trimmed, and he's singing poetry. What's about to happen? A lot of people are about to die. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> he's and happy to go and uh, give up his his life for uh, whatever cause he's about to fight for. Because that's what actually what I've heard part of the culture was that. They would trim their beards and cut their hair and do calisthenics and sing poetry because they were trying to prepare themselves to meet oh, yeah. the gods. Oh yeah. So they. they, they... <laughs> to come so if you want to talk about a level of not giving a shit if you die and being completely pleased with going out there and wrecking everybody and everything and maybe sacrificing their life, these guys are basically, you know, um, the old saying, "I'm getting dressed up because today I might be going to a funeral." <laughs> they did not care at all. As long as they die, as long as they die well, it's as long as they die in fighting in formation and fighting for the cause. Uh, as I said, there was a famous thing that the mother told their son in Sparta uh, when they got their shield: uh, "Come home with it or on it." On it, yep. That was in that's uh, depicted in the film uh, where uh, her well, she's Queen Cersei now, but uh, <laughs> back then she was the Spartan queen in the movie, and she says that to uh, Leonidas, and that you know that was just that was just how they were. Um, yeah, say, and it's, it's, it links in then to what uh, Leonidas says to uh, uh, another. Again, another one of the great quotes of the film is uh, actually it's still now. I think it's the Greek, uh, the Greek army motto is uh, "Molon labe" uh, when they're asked to give up their shields and spears. Uh, come get them. Come and take them. Yep, come get them. <laughs> come and take them. Molon. Oh, that's good shit. Uh, um, and these were. These were brave, but ultimately insane men. Oh, <laughs> they, yeah, absolutely. They've been trained to be insane for their entire lives, uh, and that's essentially what it is. We're going to meet the gods today, and uh, we're going to take as many people as we can with them. Uh, and that's that's the Battle of Thermopylae. It's, uh, we're just, and that's, uh, that's what we got coming up. The Persians are coming down the road, are the rich intellectuals and the battle-born insane crazy fucks going to be able to turn back the Persian Empire Um Unfortunately, I think you got a you got a phone call coming up pretty pretty yeah, quick, yeah, don't you? Yeah. So, as our listeners groan as I say this, yes. that's gonna be have to that to be our setup for the next episode when we have the next time we could get some of Peter's time, which is very very valuable. Um, Mr. Peter Crawford, I thank <laughs> you so so much for coming on here. This was pretty badass. Um, and the next time we have you on, we will continue with. The Battle of Thermopylae, Artemisium, and then the other battles, which uh, culminated the rest of this story. A um, couple of naval battles, a couple of more ground battles. Can these guys turn back this huge army? I thank you very much, sir, for joining us. And until next time, as the Spartans would say, come and get them! <laughs>